As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The Premier League returns this weekend with Spurs still unbeaten and playing free-flowing, attacking football. Whisper it quietly, but is it possible they're actually better without Harry Kane? And with Ange Postacoglu in charge and James Madison pulling the strings on the pitch, are they quickly becoming a bit of a guilty pleasure for rival Premier League supporters? Maybe not Arsenal fans. I'm Ayo Akimwaleri. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. They look like they're playing with freedom. Is that something you work with? Not trying to get your secrets. No, no, no. <laughs> no, see, I'm just copying Pep, mate. Yeah. <laughs> and this has opened up for Madison! For me, I'm not in this job desperate to win something just to win something. I'm, I'm here because I want to create a club that has the opportunity to win things on a yearly basis. And there's a difference, yeah, because us winning a Carabao Cup and finishing 10th um, is not what I think this club's about. I'm joined today by the Athletic Spurs writer, Charlie Eccleshare, and also our data writer, Tom Harris, who's kept a close eye on Big Angie's new look, Tottenham. So, Charlie, let's start with you. Um, last season for Spurs. <laughs> um, not, not many Spurs fans want to talk about it, but come on, let's, let's, let's do the therapy bit first. Just how bad was it? It was bad. It was really bad. I mean, I think the most simple way I can draw the contrast in then and now is that now you've got fans like counting down the minutes until kickoff of the next game especially with the international break it's been two weeks I think everyone's just like just want to get three o'clock on Saturday when they play Sheffield United whereas last season it was kind of the opposite fans would be dreading games or, or they'd do that thing of like thinking maybe maybe this will be different and then it would start and be like no it's exactly the same <laughs> I mean like the weird, the weird thing is that last season they scored quite a lot of goals they conceded loads so their games they weren't boring in that sense like there were always lots of goals it was just they conceded way too many they just didn't start well in yeah, any they were very, game that's I mean, the thing they were very repetitive yeah. and, they, and they'd often only really get on the attack when they were 2-0 down at half time or they went on this crazy run where they conceded the first goal in something like 10 games consecutively it was it was mad um, and just the sense that Conte wasn't really enjoying himself didn't really want to be there the fans sort of 
fell out with him. It was just a really toxic atmosphere. And it's it's only four games, but it's so different now. Yeah. And Tom, let's just look at the, the, the data on that. And we talk about last season and uh, the, the feeling was Conte's tactics probably weren't suiting this team. And, and do, do the stats show that? Yeah. I mean, I think it was very much classified by stubbornness, Conte's final season. <laughs> you know, lots of 3-4-3. Three, three, that's what he likes to do. And, you know, I seem to remember a lot of games where Conte was kind of usually the reactive manager rather than the proactive one. He was kind of waiting for other teams to make substitutions and then he would react to it. And it was slightly passive. And yeah, I mean, one of the main things as well about Conte is that he normally presses high and he normally, you know, requires a lot of commitment from his players as, you know, lots of stories about all the running that they do in training. And, you know, towards the end when kind of relationships started to deteriorate a little bit, we started to see a bit of a lack in, you know, a bit of a disjointedness in their press. So we can look at their PPDA numbers. So that's passes per defensive action. That kind of tells us how many passes Tottenham were allowing before they made a tackle or, or a challenge. And that was just wildly inconsistent in that last season. So that kind of suggests that, yeah, some players were, were in it. Some players were, were really, really going for it and really like gelling well and others were, were struggling to to kind of press in that purposeful way and it was it was what the 16th highest in the league wasn't it Their yeah BBDA. yeah really, so, really really suffered towards the end so as in the, as in the 16th most intense press mm-hmm. um which is you know not great <laughs> not at all not, not for a team trying to push for top four or top top spot with the champions league in, in fact right let's 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 flip it it's only what four games in and i know Tom, you've you've written that you know we shouldn't obviously analyze these first few weeks um, because it can be quite false in, in, in general. But in essence, what does the data tell us now under Postacoglu of the first four games, at least, uh, of how Spurs are actually playing? Yeah, I mean, a lot more territorially dominant, I think, so far. I mean, obviously, again, only four games and three of those games have been against teams who do tend to cede possession. So against Brentford, for example, very good on the counter-attack, but Spurs had 70% of the ball that day just because Brentford did sit back and allow them to do that. So early to say that Spurs are going to become, you know, possession gods, they kind of dominate the ball every single game, but there was a lot more of an intent to try to do that. Um, So one way we can look at that is through field tilt, which kind of calculates the amount of passes you're making in the attacking third and Tottenham have been doing that so much more than they have been this season where they're making lots of passes close to the opposition goal they're kind of sustaining attacks a lot a lot more than they used to under Conte where it used to be a bit more transitional on the counter-attack and yeah looking at the way the Postacoglu likes to do that it's a bit more inventive you know you've got kind of inverted fullbacks in in Destiny Adogi and Pedro Porro trying different things and we'll get onto Madison a bit later mm. but his kind of free role as well is helping them to just really set up camp in the attacking third I think that's the main difference so far I mean that field tilt thing is really interesting because even when Conte's Spurs were good and when they came fourth in his first kind of half season they were still really low for field tilt and it is quite a good way of seeing how dominant a team is relative to their opposition and as Tom says, that's changed a lot this season. And, and building on that, in their first game against Brentford, they had 358 touches in the attacking third. The most they had in any game last season was 319. And that was in one of those games, in that run of 10 consecutive, where they were against Bournemouth away, they were 2-0 down and rallied. So it was one of those where they were kind of, naturally the opposition was sitting back quite a lot. So it, it does feel already very different. And, and what's interesting as well with, you're, you're right, Tom, in that, they have played teams generally who do like to sit back and that makes a difference. But actually, a lot of people connected to Spurs are quite excited to see them 
against some of those bigger teams who are going to attack them because I think on the counter they're going to be really really dangerous especially when you think of like Son running through those kind of players so it will be interesting to see them and obviously the North London Derby is coming that, up I mean, you can which, see me smiling yeah, exactly. you can literally yeah. see me smiling I'm like look let's, let's it's see it's going to be such stand. a good bellwether yeah I mean away yeah. uh, at the Emirates for, for Spurs I mean obviously you know legendary status for Postacoglu if, if, yeah. if Spurs can get a result there let's let's bring it round to who he is as a, as, as a, as a manager stark difference to Conte what have you seen from your conversations with them and obviously uh, from, from Spurs this season that makes this guy a little different? They really are polar opposites. I mean, Conte often gave the impression that he thought he was above it. You know, he early on he said... For me, it's very difficult to speak about the four places and about the Europa League, Conference League, because I'm used to, to play for other, uh, other targets. But... In one end. Which is kind of unhelpful. Postacoglu in his first press conference, I think it was in the first answer, said how you know excited he was to be here, how grateful he was for the opportunity, all of that. They're very, very different in how they communicate. I mean, Postacoglu, I wrote a piece on this a few weeks ago. He's an amazing orator. That's one of his best skills. He communicates so, so well. And also, he genuinely is devoted to this attacking way of playing. I mean, some of the things he said, even before he became manager, you hear them. And they could be being said by a diehard Spurs fan who's kind of espousing the values of the club. You know, he said things like, for him, how you judge a manager's philosophy is if they had, if there was one game that would decide whether they had a career or not, what tactics would they play? That to him is, that's what tells you what they really believe in. And he says what he would do is what he's done everywhere he's been, play attacking football, play on the front foot. So it just aligns so well with the values of Spurs and and you talk about fit and alignment that's a word you often hear in football circles and Conte is a, is a world class manager he is like his record tells us that but the alignment wasn't there with Spurs Postacoglu the alignment feels right and that doesn't mean necessarily you know he's going to win loads and it's going to be a huge success but it does feel it, it makes a lot of sense you know firstly he's often started slowly at his clubs because they're learning so many new ideas and we were all who'd done our research been like, oh, you know, look out. It could well be a slow start. And we're looking quite stupid now. But, you know, I do think there will be a drop off inevitably. There'll be a period where there are a few bad results and people are questioning it. But I think the fans will stick with him a lot longer than what they did with Conte because they really believe in his way of fo playing football and it excites them. And that wasn't the case, really. Yeah, one, certainly last season. Yeah, one thing I'd love to talk about a bit later on is, is what this team looks like without you know, talisman Harry Kane. Um, but also, I, I guess you talk about this style of communication and, and, and things like that. You know, players like Romero, Basuma, Perisic, they look really solid this season. You know, like they look like they're really, really up for it. How much can we see from some of the, the stuff you're looking at, Tom, to, to, to sort of signify this? Yeah, it's confidence, really. I mean, Basuma, you know, when he, when he signed him from Brighton, he was very highly rated. Mm. It's not as if, you know, he suddenly turned into a, a terrible player overnight. He just couldn't really get into this Conte system. He couldn't really get a few consistent minutes. And now it, it seems, obviously, that he's had belief kind of breathed into him behind the scenes. Um, Basuma has been really essential just in terms of his like defensive tenacity. He's, he's a really, really good ball winner. He's very kind of underrated, I think, at his kind of passing accuracy and the way he can kind of like conduct attacks. He's been a really, really good kind of piece to the jigsaw there. But 
you know, these kind of players. I mean, there's that great stat about Romero, actually, who who hasn't actually conceded a foul yet yeah, this season, incredible. Which, is, which is unbelievable. I mean, yeah, his his powers, Postacoglu's powers are really, really yeah, going to If he can, if he can do that. Runs. But I mean, he, he was on a crazy run. Uh, in his previous 21 games for Spurs, he'd received 11 yellows and two reds. So for him not to have committed a foul, <laughs> it, it does feel like a trick of the mind. On Basuma as well, I just wanted to say, like, I do think he, he is a really good uh, reference point contrasting the two managers because under Conte not only did he not get much of a chance but I remember his his first start was in an away game against West Ham and Conte was going mad at him throughout he was clearly really frustrated and soon after he said publicly that Basuma was struggling with the tactical aspect those were his words now Postacoglu's come in and he's someone who who Ange sort of zoned in on really quickly because he was there training right from the start he wasn't with the internationals or anything and Postacoglu was telling this story yesterday uh, that he said to him, look, you can be a reference point for the younger players with the way you train. You know, they should be looking up to you. And he said that gave Basuma a really big lift. And then Basuma came in late the next day and Postacoglu said to him, look, leaders don't turn up late. Well, yeah, and since then he says he's 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 been on time. Uh, but he, he's been such a big player for them. And and I think last season he he was, I mean, he was injured a lot, to be fair, and he got COVID soon after joining. But he was a player who was really held up by Spurs fans as being symptomatic of things not working under Conte. You know, how could he not get a tune out of this player who, in the April before he joined Spurs, a couple of months before he joined, he had battered them at the, Spurs, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in a 1-0 win for Brighton. And I remember watching that and being like, this guy, and I thought this before, I was like, he's going to be amazing at his next club. Whoever, you know, a big, a bigger club, in inverse commas, is going to sign him. So it was just such a mystery how Conte couldn't get the best out of him. And... Yeah, he's been, and there are some numbers as well, aren't there, Tom, showing, you know, he's with his progressive carries, the distance he's covering with yeah. the ball. He's brave, you know, that's what Postacoglu demands. And bravery for Postacoglu is taking the ball in tight spaces. Uh, and he does that, you know, he, he'll get it in the area, dummy his way past a couple of opposition players and just move on as if nothing's happened. It's amazing to watch. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akinwalere. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to play against him. Most of the boys here don't like training against him. He's, uh, he's a real competitor, and I love that about him. Um, you know, whether it's training or a game, what you see is, is, is what you get with uh, Romero. How uh, great is it to see a defender like this as a Spurs fan as comparison to, I guess, the very tricky time that Sanchez has had at the club? You know, Romero naturally feels like the man you want, you know, as, as your key centre-back. Postacoglu was saying this as well about how he's a bit scared of Romero <laughs> and how, and how uh, you know, most of the players, the Spurs players aren't crazy about training with him. You know, he's got that um, presence. Yeah, Romero is another one, you know, from what I'm told, he he's very different uh, off the pitch as well to how he was last season when you could tell he just, 
he it seemed like he'd lost his enthusiasm and obviously part of that was post world cup and i think the crazy come down that maybe was not really you've just won the greatest won the world prize cup for Argentina. in football he literally two weeks later was playing at home against yeah. aston villa and you, and the demands that were put on them and like you know you saw those pictures of argentina after they won the world cup it was mega it was huge i mean he was still probably partying yeah. inside and fair <laughs> enough he should have been it was insane yeah. uh so yeah he's another one i think who's uh who's come a lot and also he is now playing with Mickey van der Ven yes, of course. who's very quick right. enables him to play this high line and because that, that was always a question with Romero you know I wrote a piece at the back end of last season like how good actually is he because he'd had a really difficult second half of the season but within that talked about okay but how much is it about the players around him and give him a partner like van der Ven um, and it looks again early days that that's made a big difference big player and I know um, on the lips of many Spurs fans right now is Richarlison and, you know, recently talking about seeking psychological help for some of the difficulties he's having at this moment in time. Also a, a very strange player from an outsider's perspective, because I don't know if we've actually seen the full Richarlison. And when you're talking about an environment that feels a bit more positive, a bit more, a bit more attacking minded, which should play to the strengths of a player like this, something just hasn't come together. But in terms of man management, surely he's under the right guy here. Yeah, for sure. I tweeted earlier, I, th I couldn't imagine a better manager for him than Postacoglu because he does have that empathy. And he's, and you know, he's clearly, what Postacoglu has been saying publicly has been designed to try and support Richarlison and saying things like, you know, don't worry about not scoring, which I know is a message he gives, you know, from previous strikers I've spoken to who've played with Postacoglu. They say that's something he said, you know, don't worry about the numbers, don't worry about the goals. I can see that you're doing the right things, you're working hard, which is exactly what he'll be telling Richarlison now. You know, ultimately, it's down to Richarlison. Can he take that on board? And can his confidence remain at a level? You know, and he scored against Fulham in the League Cup. So he has scored this season. But it, I was struck in the Bournemouth game. He really, you could tell there was a moment where he, 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 he looked really short of confidence. Like he was giving the ball away and just looked really frustrated. But I, I do think Postacoglu will be great for him. And the rest of the dressing room as well, I think, will really rally behind him. Do we know where Richarlison really should play? I know he's got this tattoo of him with the greatest strikers. And, you know, <laughs> respect to him. Yeah. I, I, is he a regular number nine? Because Everton used to play him out wide and he was really effective in those positions as well. And I think even when he came to Spurs, he started playing out wide. This sort of number nine role, that central striker role, do we feel it suits him as a, as a player, Tom? Uh, yeah, yes and no. I mean, I think in this Tottenham side, you want a kind of the way Andrew Postecoglou plays. You want somebody who's kind of occupying the centre backs a little bit more because that makes more space for Madison to pick up the ball in those kind of pockets, which he, he's really good at doing. Gives a bit more space for kind of like overlapping wing backs to get on the ball because then you know there are more players occupied and worried about that central presence. So. In the system sense, yes, maybe. I mean, obviously, it's not looking great for Richarlison in terms of his individual numbers. But as Charlie just said, I think there are more important things, you know, for Richarlison's individual performances at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ancelotti described him centre-left, which is quite new labour. Um, but yeah, that was, that was what he said. So kind of as a hybrid of a number nine, but also kind of... Yeah playing as a you know moving to that kind of yeah inside left position i guess we'd call it and that generally i think is where he he does most of his damage he's had to play a bit on the right for spurs mm. and that doesn't look great he did that last season when kudusevsky was out and yeah it just never looked natural i think either of those roles either out either out wide or on the left or through the middle um he can do well in i, I just think he is a player who can suffer confidence-wise when things aren't going as well. He takes things quite personally. He wears his emotions very visibly as well. 
you know, he doesn't have a great poker face. And I, th I do wonder if, you know, that, that can sometimes be helpful to his opponents. Mm, mm, mm. All right, let's, let's go to James Madison, uh, a player that puts smiles on a lot of Spurs fans' uh, faces, considering they, they lost their lead talisman, uh, you know, Harry Kane. Um, you can't help but think this is an insane steal, Tom, at £40 million. Uh, the only people, and I know you've definitely written about this, that come in comparison or more, Harry Kane, Mohamed Salah, Son Heung-min, Kevin De Bruyne, Bruno Fernandes. Yet not many people were sort of asking for his signature this summer. Yeah, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. You can look back and mm. say, well, you know, what, where was everybody? But in terms of the data, I mean, just some really impressive stats just coming out in terms of how much he gets involved and how much he likes to kind of be the main man. I know he came out and said that. He's <laughs> 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 never ago. shy. He's <laughs> never shy. But yeah, I mean, only two players have taken more shots than him since he joined Leicester five years ago. So that's Harry Kane and Mo Salah. Only two players have created more chances than him since he joined Leicester five years ago. That's Trent Alexander-Arnold, Kevin De Bruyne. He's level with James Ward-Prowse, most goals outside the penalty area. He's always really involved and, in, you know, we can look at kind of his importance in the build-up and how many sequences he's involved in. He's in top 10 again for that kind of thing. So just that kind of, that final shot, that final pass, and also just being involved in those, you know, multi-pass moves, which end up in, in goals. Madison is always there. So yeah, all of that, you know, in addition to kind of his intelligent movement, his good forward passing and dribbling, you know, he's really consistent and you know what you're going to get from James Madison. You're going to get output in, in, in some way, shape or form. Charlie, when you've lost such a key figure like Harry Kane, how amazing is it for, for Spurs to have found a, a midfielder that kind of takes that pressure of one player having to do everything. Now you've got a bit more balance, really. You've got someone who's a decent scorer, has got someone who can shoot from outside the box, you've got someone who can also create. And his dribbling ability is pretty decent as well. Yeah, his dribbling ability is actually surprising. I didn't realise he was such a good dribbler. Mm. Obviously, watching him for Leicester, you're aware of his his goal scoring, his assists, but he can do that. He can take the ball under pressure and, and move past people. He's been a really, really big big signing and I was saying before I think he's sort of symbolic of this new Spurs team under Ange you know he's got that swagger he's got that confidence and that also is something that Spurs really associate with those kind of players so he's just slotted in perfectly and I was thinking on the way in about you know how Spurs were able to get him for a pretty good fee and without too much competition. Obviously, Newcastle were interested. And I do think sometimes you can just get lucky with these things. Like I remember when Spurs got Christian Eriksen and I was thinking for a really cheap yeah. price. I remember thinking like, why is no one out? You know, this is a guy, there was loads of hype around. Sometimes you can get lucky, like with Madison, I think a combination of other teams who might have rivaled Spurs maybe feeling they had players in his position. I think maybe there was a perception of him... Uh, I don't know, as not being as focused or as dedicated, which I think is wrong, by the way. But I think, you know, that stuff with him getting dropped for England maybe had an outsized effect on how people perceive him. All of those things, I think, combined. But what a great result that was for Spurs, because, as you say, with Kane going, he is someone who he takes on some of that creative load and in a leadership sense as well. Postacoglu, you know, thinks in terms of like technical leaders as well. It's not just, you know, who's going to shout the loudest. And Madison is absolutely that. You can see that with the other players. They look to him because he can just take the ball, drop a shoulder. The confidence he plays with the swagger, it's, it's really, really impressive. I always think about, you know, when people talk about, I mean, some players do take it to excess, but when people talk about people's personality and actually as human beings, it's probably worth understanding how you get the best out of them. So Dennis Rodman, for instance, loved to party. Part of one of the greatest basketball teams ever. 
is there an idea that like we just need to understand James Madison better? You know, he's, he's very he's not typical of what we'd want from our English players. Yeah, quite possibly. And I, I think as well, the sense from those who know Madison is that like once he had kids, he really settled down. That kind of changed how how he was. I think he is, you know, he he's someone who needs the right framework, probably. And maybe that was a part of it as well, that some teams thought, do we want to adapt our team enough for him to thrive? You know, a lot of managers might think, no, I want someone who can just come in and slot into my existing system. Whereas I think Postacoglu saw him as perfect for the way he wanted to play. And he's given him this freedom. And what, what's really interesting was in that Bournemouth game, I was watching him closely and he was, he was everywhere. He was just, you know, popping up in all these different positions. And I asked Ange afterwards, you know, how, how much does he have that license, you know, that freedom to do that? And he said... He does, but it's all within a framework. Like it, the skill of it is that it looks quite improvisational, but actually that's all very carefully mapped out and plotted. And I think that's one of the geniuses of Postacoglu and of what we're seeing at the moment. It can look very freeform, but it's really well thought out and they work incredibly hard. They play with so much intensity, which again is quite deceptive because it looks quite like all oh, one touch, a bit like freestyle but it, it's really not. It's based on a huge amount of hard work and prep. Yeah, I love that. Now... Another player that's come through the door, uh, Brennan Johnson from Nottingham Forest. You know, another impressive player. And actually, considering him and Kulusevski might be playing for that sort of right spot, a player that Spurs fans, on stats alone anyway, should be quite excited about. Yeah, I mean, I think Charlie mentioned it before about, you know, Spurs fans looking forward to playing those bigger teams because they might be able to hit on the counter-attack. I think Brennan Johnson is one of the best counter-attacking players in the Premier League over the last couple of years. He's really involved in, you know, he's got great pace, lots of chances and lots of goals from counter-attacks. And he's also a very, very positive dribbler as well. I mean, just under 10% of his carries have included a take-on last season. So that shows how whenever he gets a ball, you know, a lot of the time he's looking to take on, take on his defender. So really the main thing is that, again, Unlike with Conte, where it kind of seemed that players were, you know, pigeonholes for a certain position and, you know, there would be one player, main player per position, a bit of competition. Under Postacoglu, there looks to be a, a lot more flexibility and a lot more, you know, chances of using players in, in slightly unusual ways to gain advantages over, over teams. We've seen it with Pedro Porro playing that inverted role, which a lot of people questioned ended up going quite well. Now you've got on this left-hand side, you've got the Kulisewski profile, who, you know, likes to cut inside, be creative in central areas. You've also got the Brennan Johnson profile, who likes to, you know, run at his defenders and, and be more direct. So there are multiple options now, which I think is is encouraging that, you know, Tottenham can use these different solutions to, to a lot of different games. Mm. Charlie, how would you rate this transfer window f for Spurs? Because, you know, you'd hope they've learned from, you know, the big money they sold Gareth Bell for and the, the the signings in which they brought in. I was I was just cheekily on the train here looking at the, you know there's a blog on it talking about ranking those players in order. Saldado came last, obviously. <laughs> and then you had Lamella, who came sort of sixth, Capu, fifth, Ericsson naturally number one. Do you think they've learned from that? And do you think this has been a decent transfer window? Yeah, I definitely think lessons were learned from that. I think the temptation in that window was to try and do it all in one window. Which is natural because you lose a really amazing player like Bale or in this case Kane. I think maybe they were a little more circumspect this time around. And also they did a lot of their business quite a while before Kane was sold. Mm -hmm. What happened in that window is three of the seven players who came in were very, very late. I don't know. I've sort of um, in two minds about this. Like My initial re reaction was that it's not been a great window overall. I think part of that was informed by deadline day because deadline day held quite a lot of promise. It seemed like they might make a few signings. In the end, they, they only signed Johnson, which had been trailed quite heavily before. 
And in my mind, losing Kane was so massive that it would have taken a huge amount for it to feel like a really good window because they've lost arguably the best player of the modern era. So for it to feel anything other than a big disappointment, you'd be talking about lots of really exciting signings. On the other hand, they have made, you know, they've brought a bunch of players in who can come in and play straight away. You know, you think Vicario, Van der Ven and Madison, that's kind of a new spine of the team. And I think all of those feel like good signings, especially, you know, Madison feels already like a great signing potentially. But I think Van der Ven will be really good. Uh, they've brought in some players for the future as well. And I do wonder if in the fullness of time we'll have to view this window as part of two, three, four, mm. five. You know, it doesn't have to happen all at once. The other thing as well is they're not in Europe and they're not in the Carabao Cup either. So they don't need as big a squad. And I think that might help them because if they were in Europe and or the Carabao Cup, they might have thought, we need bodies in. You know, we, we just need to get anyone. They didn't need to do that so much. And I do wonder if then in January, and we've reported that Ivan Tony is someone that's of interest to them. But yeah, it's, it's, I think, you know, ultimately as well, injuries will affect how we view this window. Because if, say, they lose Romero and or van der Ven. And then you're talking about, well, who comes in to replace them? Is it 18-year-old Ashley Phillips? Is it Eric Dyer who's fallen out of favour? Is it Ben Davis kind of moving over from left back? Then I think there might be a, a sort of, well, what on earth were we thinking? very different than yeah. what can offer. Yeah. Exactly. Like it, they, are, they are thin in some areas. So they, they, the window has left them needing to get lucky or not get unlucky, basically. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. I know I did say it quite flippantly at the top, but you know Spurs better with that hurricane. Of course, I mean they're not better. It's only four matches in, but uh, you, you talked about it. You you lose such a big presence, you lose such a talisman. I think nine years back to back, Spurs is top scorer. You know we were talking about this just before we we came on here as well. Is that you'd like to see Harry Kane with this Spurs team, but. Could they have afforded to have this team if they didn't sell Harry Kane? Yeah, I mean, that is part of it. You know, they spent a lot of money in the summer, and I think which maybe didn't seem so obvious because it happened maybe in slightly, a slightly staggered way and it was on a few players rather than going and splurging it on one big player. But no, I think realistically, you know, they wouldn't have brought in the players they did necessarily without... Uh, you know, without the knowledge or suspicion that he the was game was going to go. And that's certainly what, that's certainly been the public line uh, that Postacoglu has given. It is an intriguing thought to think what, what it would have looked like, you know, Kane and Madison in the same team. Though I think Madison does quite a lot of what Kane did because obviously as, as well as being a goal scorer in the number nine, so much of Kane's role in his latter years at Spurs was... The, the, the creative hub of that team. It, pinging it over to, exactly. to Sonny, running exactly. off the ball. It was beautiful to watch. Exactly. Whether they're 
a better team or they're a more functional team. I mean, as you say, to, to suggest that team could be better without Harry Kane, it feels fanciful. I think it's more just a case of now there are going to be a lot of people who are going to have to step up in his absence. It's not. It can't be so centred on one player. I mean, he scored around 40% of Spurs' goals in the Premier League last season, which was the highest proportion of any player for any team, yeah. which... You know, it's fine. You know, it's it's not as if City don't rely heavily on the goals of Erling Haaland. It's fine to have a <laughs> prolific forward. But I think there was a sense that it was all through Kane and they relied on him so much. And and leadership-wise as well, him and Lloris, I know, felt burdened by the weight of feeling like they had to carry the team in a leadership sense for a number of years. Now other people have got to step up. You know, you talk about in a creative sense, but also in a leadership sense. Mm. Postacoglu's got a whole new leadership group with Son, Madison uh, and Romero. All the guys who were there last season, Kane, Lloris, Dyer, Hoybier. Kane's not at the club and the other three aren't in the leadership group. So it does feel like a really fresh start. And yeah, look, we'll, we'll need more than four games to judge how well they've built post-Kane. You know, like you talk about the Bale comparison, we need longer, but it certainly seems at the moment they've found a way of playing without him, which felt like it might not be the case when he went. Yeah, Tommy, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, we, we spoke about like four games, but is there any sense that Spurs, func they definitely function differently or function better without Harry Kane in the team? Yeah, it's a difficult question. I mean, I think, as you know, what Charlie was saying, I think we need to wait until something goes wrong to really see the kind of the, the, the spine of the Spurs team yeah. and, you know, see what they do when they don't have, you know, let's say there's an injury or let's say there's, there's a bit of bad form and they don't have that kind of player who you can just give the ball to and kind of pray really um, but yeah it certainly looks a lot more encouraging than it did kind of on the day that Harry Kane left I know there was a lot of negativity around Tottenham before the season started and it's really started very well but as we say four games bigger test to come and you know this start of the season has been kind of relying on on James Madison playing very well we know we know he's a very consistent player but if there is a kind of dry spell then you know that's the kind of second talisman that is you know after Kane Madison who do you look to then? Isn't it an interesting one, though, Like when you do lose a, a big talisman? I'm thinking about Arsenal, Omri, uh, Everton, Wayne Rooney, that actually sometimes the team does end up functioning a, a bit different. You've got these incredible personalities, which because they are so good, it's hard not to play through them all the time. Yeah. And now you've got a team that doesn't isn't burdened with that pressure. Um, and actually, there might be a plan B, there might be a plan C. You know, ABC is great. Harry Kane, Harry Kane, Harry Kane. He's yeah. probably not great. <laughs> yeah, you just need... I think it can go one of two ways, but it's certainly... Um, it gives players an opportunity. And I think that's how Postacoglu will be framing it. He'll be saying, you know, don't be fearful of the fact Kane's gone. This is an opportunity for you guys. You need to step up. Um, and yeah, in some of those examples you mentioned there with Henri, I remember Cesc Fabregas talking about the fact that a lot of the players were quite intimidated by him and found it quite hard and some were almost liberated when he went. Now, I don't know if, if that's so much the case with Kane. He's not as kind of obviously critical as Henri was sometimes. Henri had these incredibly high standards. I, I just think now with Kane or in a post-Kane world, seeing it as an opportunity is what they have to do. You know, and if you are someone like Son, who's now the captain, You've got to be the guy. You've got to step up. And, you know, he did a lot of that anyway. But there are going to be games where he's going to have to be putting rabbits out of his hat. And I, I thought it was really interesting. Seb Stafford Bloor tweeted, Kane's consistency over such a long period of time is so unusual and made you almost forget what it's like to have a striker in a rough patch. Like, genuinely, I think for Spurs fans seeing Richarlison, like, 
we haven't had this since Soldado. <laughs> Genuinely, like Soldado in that in that first in his well, first season. Is, uh, before Harry Kane would be Emmanuel Adebayo, who was like the highest scoring Tottenham yeah. player at that time. I mean, that, it's that far back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're looking at like Spurs and having a really prolific striker. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So it's just it's it's very alien for Spurs fans seeing a striker going through. I mean, obviously they had like Vincent Janssen, but it didn't matter because Kane was scoring at such a prolific rate anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, what does expectation look like for this season? And has it changed now you've seen the team sort of start? Yeah, a bit. I mean, I, I found this a really interesting thing when Postacoglu was appointed and the various people I spoke to, some of them were asking me, you know, what 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 does success look like for him in his first season? And it was quite a hard one to put a number on. You know, normally, I think that's the thing like with Conte or Mourinho or managers like that, it was, well, top four. Or a trophy because they're so de- they're so defined by their results. What Postecoglou has said publicly is the fans will tell him if it's been a success or not because they'll be able to say have we enjoyed this season and he's confident that then the rest the results will flow from there. Mm. Now that might sound like a a wishy washy response to some people who want him to say I want us to be going for the title or I want us to be in the top four or the top five or qualifying for Europe you know wanting a more concrete target. But I do know what he means in the sense that. I think, for instance, like them finishing sixth this season, but playing in a way that makes fans excited, that suggests they're moving in the right direction, that they have a longer term plan would mean more than, say, finishing fifth or maybe even fourth in an in a way that was felt quite short termist and was just grinding out results because they've sort of done that already. You know, they did that the season before last. Admittedly, that's maybe harsh on Conte. They played some some good football in that season, but, you know, they, they want to to enjoy watching the team again. They want to feel energised. And I think that is almost the, more, the most important thing right now. Yeah, from, from your perspective, Tom, you know, let, let's not get too caught up in the first few games. It's how this team pans out. And from a I guess, statistical point of view, most Premier League teams do sort of display this kind of like, you know, upsurge. And then did, we did one on Juventus yesterday and we were saying, oh, great start, Juventus. And then we've also seen that come crashing down very, very quickly. Yeah, obviously new manager bounce is a thing mm. uh, statistically as well. It kind of does, does bear out in the numbers. I mean, I think, yeah, basically, you know, the theme of this episode has been about restoring confidence and restoring kind of fun in, in Tottenham. And I think that is that is the best place to start. And I mean, this is jumping a gun a little bit, but I remember, you know, from an Arsenal perspective, that game against Manchester City at the Emirates where Rodri scored that last minute goal, but there was a real change in atmosphere. And there was like, we can compete with with this super team. This this is the kind of maybe the start of something special. I think if Postacoglu can build Tottenham up to a place where they can put a few performances in like that, where, where the confidence goes through the roof, then yeah, the sky's the limit. But obviously lots of competition in the Premier League and, and lots of teams who you know, have that similar amount of talent who can maybe, you know, cause a test to, to this Postacoglu system and, you know, in his first season. Okay, keep your eyes peeled. North London Derby in a couple of weeks' time. Let's see how that one turns out. Thank you very much, Charlie. Tom, really appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the pod, you can leave us a quick review on Apple and Spotify. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe so you never miss a single episode. You can also read more from our dedicated Spurs writers like Charlie and Tom's brilliant data dives on the athletics. Sign up today for a special limited time offer of £1 a month for 12 months at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead.
The Athletic.